This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Marissa. Hello, I'm Evan. We're going to talk about Martian Co- Martians Come in Clouds by Philip K. Dick. First published in Fantastic Universe, June, July, 1953. I'm pretty sure that's the first issue. Um, and, yeah, it is the first issue of that magazine. And uh, I read this probably before, but I didn't remember it very well. Um, it's a lot clearer to me now, and I have some thoughts. Had anyone else read it before? I know, Evan, you did a show on it, so you yeah, must have. I had not. It it I I didn't think I had when we had signed up for this, but then as the story goes, like, oh yeah, that one. It's actually in the uh, it's one of the it's in one of the collected volumes of Bill K. Dick. I think volume two. So yeah, yeah it's, I, it's I, been collected a few times. So um, I, I I come across it second variety in a collection is somewhere. The most yeah. common collection it's in. Um, originally, apparently, uh, like moments of this kind of there's a like. Part of this is sort of reused in the world Jones made. Right. Yeah. That 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 accounts for part of it. Like those were, I think they were Martians. They were wonder. They were like gelatinous blobs. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That, that, a similar that, idea. And the um, same kind of xenophobic violence against them. Hmm. There, there was more overtly a political ploy. Actually, that that's kind of an interesting story to revisit. Um, I, uh, I dug into the, uh, translations and most of them, uh, there's French and German translations and, uh, basically the best title for this story, no matter how you slice it, is Martians Come in Clouds. Um, but Philip K. Dick's title was, uh, as he submitted, it was fucking terrible. What <laughs> was it? The Buggies. Buggies. <laughs> no. <laughs> He's really bad at t- titling things usually. Um, sometimes, sometimes it's so funny. Well, I mean, it sounds like a children's book, though. It is, but the thing is, is it I mean, changes the um, memorability of the story, but mm-hmm. it also, I think, it makes it less like the buggies. It just sounds. I I, I see how it important important it is to the story, but um, I want you to think about something I was thinking about in the shower while I was. Uh, showering this morning, um, and see what see what it does to you because um, it's a pretty simple story. We've got the father comes home after having seen a buggy. He tells his wife, and then he sits his kid down and he tells his kid, you know, what to do when he sees a buggy. And then uh, the kid goes for a walk. Um, maybe he's on his way home from school or something. Yeah, it must be. It must be the next day, and he sees a buggy. And then uh, they kill the buggy, and that's the whole story, basically, right? But that's the plot of the story. Anyway. What's missing is what the father saw at the beginning. Um, he gives he gives us we see his reaction to what what he saw, um, and if we cut out the whole middle section where we see what the buggy's trying to say. And we just leave it as if that doesn't exist. We just see the reaction that the boy has to it. Um, that would change the story radically, I think. <laughs> Very <laughs> no, much yeah. 
I, I mean, the, the buggy's attempt to communicate its plight to the boy is what makes the story memorable. Uh, I mean, I, I in, it's even worse than that. I, I don't see why we can't assume that the Martians are speaking to all the people. Of course. Boys yeah, for sure. Empathy. I think that's why... Now, that's interesting, Evan. Um, I mean, that, that if, if you take that as written, that the, that the buggies can communicate telepathically with all humans and, and, and that the boy in the story is not special, that makes the story a lot darker and it has a lot darker I think impact that that's, on what man's life. I think that's it's how it's supposed to be read, the way it's constructed. There, I think. Yeah, there's that, nothing in the story to say that the boy is special. Like, it's not about the boy. If he is, if he is special... Um, he's a monster, but I think there's evidence within the story that isn't that, right? Yeah. What he does that shows that everybody's the same way. Yeah, for sure. It, w- it wouldn't make sense to have like these buggies, a history of them coming, the family talking about them like that. And like, they've never tried to communicate with anyone before. Right. Like what, what that doesn't even make sense. Like, um, just for our, uh, non-existent, but, um, <laughs> Still fun to talk about, uh, Philip K. Dick Rhetorizer. I found, uh, the word rigid in here. <laughs> uh, uh, which, I um, found, um, newspapers, but not the papers. Yes. No, no uh, papers. Just regular uh, old newspapers. It's, um, it's pretty cool. Uh, it's, it's so of the period that I, I I'm pretty sure I didn't read it before now that I think about it. It must have been, uh, what was the novel World Jones made? Well, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that must have been what my uh, my experience with this story was because um, it was familiar. But I'm I'm usually pretty good about remembering, you know, what happens in a story. I might get the title, <laughs> have trouble finding the title in my brain. But um, it's what was so nice about this is I was like, oh, this is like the canned Dutch ham. I, that sounds funny. That's a very <laughs> Philip K. Dick move. Um, yeah, it's very okay, Dick, sort of domestic, the couch. domesticity. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I, I think, Paul, you were not available on Twitter when I tweeted, and, and I don't think I directed it at you. I, I might, I might, I might have been, yeah, banned at that time. Um, one of say? the, uh, one of the things I did, I read the story with a student, and one of the things I did was, um, I went and looked up where Philip K. Dick lived, um, in, uh, Berkeley. Uh, because I had a, a thought and, um, so, uh, how old is our uh, main character here in this story? Do your girls, you guys remember? 11. 11 is exactly right. So I looked up where Philip K. Dick when lived, lived when he was 11 and it was in Berkeley, uh, at the, ad- I'm going to send you the link here so you can see it. Um, 1212 Walnut Street. And that's important because um, uh, Philip K. Dick's um, stories of this period are often when when there's a kid, like for example, uh, Bubber in the Cookie Lady. Um, all the streets in that story are tree streets. That's funny because growing up, there was a time we lived on on a street called Evergreen and all the, all the streets around all had different names of trees mm-hmm. just in that sort of neighborhood. I think like, it's a common thing to do, right? 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like Tangle. I mean, we were going to like, even like Tanglewood Drive was in that list. Like they, they just threw every tree name they could into this area. So, um, as you can see, uh, it's got a big tree out front. Um, I assume that that was growing at the time he was there, but a lot smaller. And visually inspirational for the story. Yeah, but more importantly, I, I, um, I tracked the, I made a bunch of notes here. So all these, tr- these, uh, tree and forest related, uh, streets show up. Maple Street, Cedar Street, Douglas Street, and Douglas is a common character name for Philip K. Dick, but it's also Douglas Fir. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, there's also palm trees mentioned, um, and Vermont Street. And of course, if you look up Vermont and just type in Vermont, hit Google Images, what do you get? Lots of trees. Trees it's, and mountains. And, and it's like, you know, the number one source in the United States for, for maple, uh, syrup, right? <laughs> the producers of maple syrup. So in, in the Cookie Lady, I just assumed that that was Philip K. Dick's way of saying we are in Once Upon a Time Land, folktale, sort of, uh, um, Cinderella, but more importantly, uh, Hansel and Gretel. Um, because he's turning down all these streets that are named after trees. Therefore, the suburbs are a forest. And I think that still holds true here. But, uh, making an 11 year old boy, uh, who Philip K. Dick once was, who lived on a tree street and lived in the suburbs and talked about garages and seeing lights through and buses, right? All the things that appear in the story. It, it makes it even more chilling, I think. Um, if you follow the thread, you could also see his, uh, home, uh, where he actually wrote his first science fiction stories, uh, at Alston Way, which is a smaller house, but, um, in, still in Berkeley. And, um, I just, I, I thought that that was really, really interesting that we've got, we've got, uh, him mining his own youth, uh, mm-hmm. to conjure up the images of the cedars and the, uh, all the tree. I mean, there is even a tree, uh, where the buggy lands, right? Right. Um, but it's, it's that night. And then one of the th- other things I noticed that was really interesting was um it was almost like a callback or a shout out to uh, uh the father thing in that the uh one of the kids says well I I think I wrote the kids names down uh, somewhere um one of the one of the kids says uh oh yeah maybe it's Mike Edwards or Ralph Drake says uh it's like a a dried up thing you'd find in a garage I'm like mm. what <laughs> Garage. Yeah. What garage. Oh, let's see if I can find garage in here. Nope. <laughs> and, 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 and there's there's lots of tree imagery now. I'm thinking about it here. I mean, Jimmy stood up above him in the evergreens. Something mm-hmm. moved. In fact, mm-hmm. Evergreens is not really a Berkeley thing, but still, there's they have lots and lots of tree. It's a it's a combination. Uh, you know, San Francisco, which is where Berkeley is, basically is a combination of Los Angeles and Seattle in in climate, right? So they do have cedars and they do have uh Douglas firs and stuff like that. I mean, that's where the redwoods are, northern California, right? But they also have palm trees. It's just not as uh pro- prolific 
as they are in it's a weird, uh, it's a weird combination. Southern, yeah, it's in Southern California where Marissa is. Um, but it is it's super evo- like I think the heart of this story's um, realism is is that he's calling on his own experience of walking home from school. And yeah, seeing- and it taps into that. Like he captures the childhood thing really well with mm-hmm. the like you're saying like there isn't maybe there isn't like a lot of forest there but you don't need a lot for a kid to see like a group of trees with spiders yeah. in them or in a garage in a garage with Indeed. weird dried up insects it becomes like huge it becomes like the world and it feels like it in the story of like there's this comforting inside situation with mom and dad mm-hmm. watching TV and it's always warm light yellow in the kitchen yeah yellow light. Yeah. And then everything outside is dark and kind of menacing, and things are moving and you know wailing. And <laughs> I'm going I'm to back. I'm going to back up now that I'm thinking of my own memories, and something just came to my mind. So when when I when I lived on a street called Galloway, there was along the street there was this sloping downward area of trees and detritus that went down to a ditch into the next yard, and we called it the ditch, and it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this wasn't a large thing, but to me, it felt like a like a mile long right. tangle of forest and trees mm-hmm. and stuff. People thrown down there and every anything. It was a, it was a place where we played and hung out and done things. It wasn't that big, but it felt big. It felt like a whole little world we had right there, right just just like like a block from my house that we could just go explore and delve in, even though it wasn't huge. It felt larger on the inside than the outside if that makes any sense mm-hmm. yeah totally and of course it was bigger than then as you've as you was smaller that's right when <laughs> well, Paul was, small, yeah. was just small s-m-o-l <laughs> yes. yeah. with big eyes uh yeah. not by guys those are different i hadn't thought about the ditch in years but you guys just made me think of it so i'm going to read that section here um this is i uh, i i think there's some beautiful parallels that philip k dick does that it's just like this is why I, I recommend him as a writer because he's just really good at what he does. So, um, uh, while he was watching, Mike Edwards came over and punched him on the arm. What say, Barnes? Hi, did you see it? The buggy? No. My dad saw it coming home from work. Bull. No, he really did. He said they were getting it down with a pole. Ralph Drake rode up on his bike. Where is it? Is it gone? They already tore it up, Mike said. Barnes said his old man saw it coming home last night. He said they were poking it down with a pole. It was trying to hang onto the roof. They're all dried up and withered, Mike said, like something that's been hanging out in the garage. What? <laughs> so to me, um, seeing that uh, somebody mentioned like bugs or no, it was uh, like a spider web. If you remember in the, um, in the father thing, that's what they see in the bamboo, right? Mm-hmm. There is a, like a tangle of spider webs. And it's funny, like, um, my, uh, my mom has a big yard with lots of trees. And one day you come by, you know, and, uh, everything's normal. And then the next day you come by and the whole tree is, is covered in what looks like a cloud, a, a web. And I'm, what the fuck is that? <laughs> right? It looks very nebulous. And it turns out it's like a giant nest for the eggs of some sort of uh, insect. Right? And when they hatch, 
they eat the whole tree, every leaf. It's freaky. I don't, mm. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but it, it's a, it's a thing. And, uh, I've not. It, it's weird because it looks like literally a cloud covering the whole, the whole, you know, uh, branches and all the, all the greenness and, and, uh, it's nebulous, like light goes through it, but you can't see through it exactly. And, and then, you know, you wait just a little while. And then the next thing you notice is that the webs are gone and every leaf on the tree is gone. Like mm. just chewed, chewed to the core and they've gone off somewhere else. So I would say that there's this, like a 99.9% chance that something like this happened in his yard or in his neighborhood. And he's recalling that and translating it to tell a, a story that's um, much more uh, uh, political. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, he has that long fascination with spiders. Like, true. So many spiders in his works. True. And, you know, probably somebody told him, stop pulling those legs off, Paul. Uh, not Paul. Oh. Uh, stop pulling <laughs> those legs off, Phil. Because. I can't imagine him doing that. I can only imagine him, like, watching them. Well, yeah, I can, I, can I, fascinated. I can imagine him doing it and then f- seeing it for what it, what he was doing and feeling awful. I bet he saw other kids doing it. He seems That's possible so too. sensitive and so in love with animals and so horrified by people True. harming animals. True. That That's also possible. But he's yeah. super sensitive to something happening. And what's interesting here is um, as readers, I think I've, I've been trained by Philo Kiddick to be very sensitive to what's going on in the stories. But um, I, I think it's pretty subtle uh, so you, y'all probably noticed it, but I don't know if every casual reader would, um, that the brutality of the humans is, uh, evident from the beginning of the story. So yeah. it starts off, Ted Barnes came in all grim faced and trembling. So he's had this trauma, right? Um, I think the trauma was him being afraid. Just like yeah. his son was afraid. And what was the fear caused by? Interesting question. Um, because what we see from the, um, a vision that the buggy gives to, uh, to our main character is not what, what's uh, the, the family. What's the boy's name? I can't remember now. Lena's the Jimmy. mom. Jimmy. Jimmy. Yeah. Jimmy. Uh, Barnes is what the Barnes. other boys call, call him, right? Um, early on, um, the boy gets a lecture from his dad. Um, let me see if I can find that part. I stopped him. I wanted to talk with him. You mind what your father tells you, Lena said, about the buggies. Remember what he says, or he'll give you the biggest whipping you ever heard of. Jimmy ran off to the bathroom. I'll get washed. He disappeared, smiling. Slamming the door behind him. So, <laughs> if you don't listen to your dad, he's going to whip you. I would assume with a belt. It could mean he's just going to slap you. It could mean he's just going to be yelly at you. But I'm going to take them at their word. He's going to be whipped. Right? Mm-hmm. And but then a whole other educational scene at the end where after the violence is inflicted against the buggy, then it's like, 
you know, basically teaching the son how to do this. It's externalizing this violence away from the family. And mm-hmm. when when um, boy's on his way home from from uh, school, and the other boy sh- shows up, the very first thing he does is punch him. Right, punch him on the shoulder. And there's no reaction, just like there's no reaction to uh, the mom saying, your father's going to whip you. He says, I'll go wash my hands. Yeah, um, it's very normalized. It, 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 it's a very normalized thing. He's 11 years old. Um, and when his father first sees him, he's got dirt on his cheek. How did that happen? That happened at school? No. His hair is tousled. How'd that happen? The boys were roughhousing, right? They were doing some stuff. This, these are free range kids, right? They're walking around at night. They show up at a certain time, but other than that, they don't have a, uh, parent driving them to and from to avoid child molesters and, uh, neighborhood bullies, Str- right? Stranger danger is not a thing in this, in this work. That's this right. Um, and when I grew up, that was transit, tra- I was going to say transition. Well, there's quite a lot of changing. Buggies. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, but yeah. I mean, if this story is written in the 80s and I could see, yeah, the buggies as a metaphor for stranger danger, but yeah, this is a more innocent time in many ways. So, well, well the, the, the stranger the, danger so is the humans. Coming into our suburban, you know, yeah. or utopia or refugees, migrants, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not stranger danger it's, within their in group. It's, yeah, it's outside is coming in. It's outside, but but I think it's more subtle than that. And this is something I wanted to get to, and I'm going to read a little bit here. I hate to, Ted caught Lena's gaze. I hope they get them taken care of soon. I hate even to be outside. They should. I heard on television they're more organized than last time. Lena counted mentally. This is the fifth time they've come. The fifth cloud. It seems to be tapering, tapering off. Not as often anymore. The first was in 1958. Next in fifty nine, I wonder where it will end. Tape that that that. I mean, these aliens that gives a whole idea of dying Mars and last gasps of a civilization and their desperate attempts to find a water world and survive. And that's that's a little more subtle than just refugees pouring over a border. This is like, yeah, yeah, but that also could be escape. their their sort of perception of it, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. if let's let's. I mean, I always kind of see this as. Uh, I don't know if this is Dick's intention, but that's what's on my mind is the the efforts of African-Americans after the war to kind of move into these new suburbs and how they were resisted Get housing. by whites. There was actually yeah. organ- there was even an episode in that Lovecraft country all about this. Mm-hmm. Um, this seems one of the better episodes in that series. So I think about that. But if you're that xenophobic neighborhood watch or whatever, you'll see, oh, another group is moving in. They're more organized this time. They brought lawyers or whatever. It's like, oh, we gotta you know, build a bigger wall around our neighborhood. Um, the hundreds of them, right? Every two or three years, not as often as they used to, they drift down from Mars in clouds. Hundreds of them. All over the world. Like leaves. Right? The dried up things. Um, it, it's just something you have to deal with. You get out the long pole, a.k.a. the rake. Right? Except these are scary. Like a lot of dry leaves blowing down. Gosh, Jimmy said. He got off the coat onto his feet. Is is it still there? No, he's just excited, right? He wants to see one. And um, uh, I was 
talking with Will yesterday. Uh, he had read the story and, uh, he said, um, uh, cause Connor also had a, he's like, what is it about? <laughs> and Will says, um, it's about communism. It's about communists. And of course that fits perfectly with the time. The story came out in 53. What's happening in 53? Another, another red scare. Um, uh, the insanity of uh, McCarthyism was still full blown. Um, early 53, which is when this story would have been, you know, being getting ready for publication in its first issue, um, was, uh, the change from Truman to Eisenhower and VP, uh, tricky dick um so you've got this this very weird period of the american history uh, where they're in a war um and uh it's it's not going as well as it could <laughs> um because they didn't defeat the communists but communism is everywhere it might even be in the army right this is what eventually sort of broke the fever of that particular Red Scare. And it's it's interesting because if you look at what the buggy is trying to say, which it doesn't use words, right? It gives images. It's saying, here's my situation. Here's how it all looks. I'm trying to be transparent here. <laughs> Nebulous, right? <laughs> trying to be transparent here. And then... Um, and here's our plan. Here's what we're requesting. We're requesting to be able to live on metal discs in the middle of the ocean. Is that okay with you? I'm really hoping I get a positive answer. I know we haven't had a lot of positive answers lately uh, in the last five things, but we're really running out of emissaries here. If we can just get a positive answer, a little Jimmy, we would really appreciate it. And what does Jimmy say? and runs away to get a, a fireman so they, they can burn it to death, right? Because his dad has told him how dangerous communism is. Well, that's why I think, I think he's looking below just like communism or whatever. You could put any group in there. You of know? course. He's looking at human nature and it could, it's black people coming into the suburbs as communism and even now Immigrants. you could call it, you could say it's aliens coming caravans. Like, yep. it's just sure. this thing. This is the Fisk caravan. It's more yeah. organized. That's right. It's just people coming into an area where a privileged bunch of people live, and they're they're not requesting, they're imploring. Like, he uses that word twice. Mm-hmm. Like, they're begging for help. And these people... And permission. Decide, they're not saying, yeah. do this or we'll kill you. And they're do harmless. This. Yeah, they They've done it. nothing. Like, we don't see anything in the story that these creatures are actually, like, meaning any harm whatsoever. And the people are just, like, trembling and fearful and burning them and calling mobs and police to help them kill them. And, and yet, I, 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 they're I, I, the ones who are the violent culture. About, about the danger. I mean, that, I mean, that goes back to the communists, like, teaching teaching kids about how dangerous these things are. That's right. Like the, right. Doctrination. And, That's why it's so and, cool that he didn't make this about an adult. Like he chose the child because when you when you read it, like if it was an adult, you'd be like, "What a dick! What an asshole!" Like turning his back. But it's on more him. understandable too because this is how you learn to be a racist, right? You yeah. you aren't born with this fear of of the other. The other yeah. is told those are the others. See how we treat that person. See exactly. how we don't like, accept that person into our circle. That's what you need to understand, boy. 
Right. right. It's like this child who was so close to being able to empathize with this thing, but he just had that indoctrination from his family. And, and they're you know, like going to grow up to do the same thing. The, these little boys and girls who are growing up, they're like little sponges, right? So if mm-hmm. they're sitting beside an adult full of racism and hate, they just sort of absorb it, whether the parent is even putting it out or not. It just sort of sucks into them. And that's yeah. true of your religion. It's true of whatever it is. So you yeah, got. I remember it. Like I don't know if you guys do. If you were around people like that when you were a kid, but like I remember soaking up that stuff and being afraid of outsiders and people with different colored skin because that's what that's how the adults spoke. Like they never said it overtly, but it was like the programming, you know, like slowly. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah. They even they even like numb them to the violence here it's it's like yes. how during those lynchings in the south they would bring the kids you know the picnic they would mm-hmm. picnic how to do it yeah it's horrible and that's if exactly you, what happens at the end of the story right if you want to and take then, your pet to the vet what you do is you give them a treat when they get in the car you give them a treat when they get out of the car when they go into the vet you give them a treat and when you come out of the vet you give them a treat and then when you get into the car you give them a treat and when you get home you give them a treat and the next time they go to the vet, they're not as upset because they're associating the positive, whether they think of it or not, with going out. And yes, mm-hmm. there's pain somewhere in the middle where somebody gives you a needle to test your blood or put a chip in you or <laughs> spay you or whatever it is. But you got all those treats, right? And that's, that's the really spooky part is he's, he's, he's capturing this programming. Um, so yeah, it it isn't specifically about aliens from Mars. It's about how you program a society and how you program people. And seeing it from the point of view of little Jimmy is it's super powerful. Mm-hmm. It's sad. It's like that's the heartbreaking part when you see it through the eyes of a kid. The story is a tragedy, a tragedy for the humans because Little Jimmy's being inculcated just like his parents, just like society to hate these things and these things is dying planet, dying species and, and begging for help, begging for help and and asking permission. Things. Right? It's mm-hmm. not like it's saying or else. Right. It's saying hey, and I get the sense that they would probably take anybody's permission, like yeah, <laughs> even a little boy's permission. Maybe it doesn't understand that this is not a leader of the society, that it's a consenting adult or anything like that. Right. He should have found that dog in a rug or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, the dog would not. But see, the dog is programmed the same way, right? It's literally genetically programmed to bark at strangers. That's true. Um, and we don't blame the dog for that. find a good dog. <laughs> <laughs> but see, it, it, you know, I... My, when my mom moved to the house she's in a long time ago, the house came with the dog, right? The owners were selling the house and it was a rundown house and it was a rundown dog. And when we showed up to look at the house, there was a dog there and it barked and barked and barked and barked. The owners left. She bought the house. The dog stayed. Dog eventually got used to us and, you know, you can get used to strangers, uh, black people, communists. You can get used to all sorts of things if you get to know them. But if you're being told everything about them is dangerous and horrible, uh, we as, uh, I think, readers are supposed to see what the alien Martian is showing 
and say, oh, this is a, a sad story. We should be sympathetic to these beings, not because it's going to be advant- advantageous to us, but rather because it's a good idea. <laughs> you know, it would help a living being. And the fear that's so built into Jimmy from his mom saying, your father's going to beat you if you don't listen to what your father says, is freaky, right? It's freaky because we don't understand it. But of course, yeah. that's what we're, whatever it is we're blind to. And what I think is so amazing is the structure here does the job of telling us what Philip K. Dick is trying to say. So he first it's the dad talks to this the wife then he talks to the son the son goes out he talks to his friends who don't believe him then uh the son encounters the thing and then we go back at the end it's the father talking with his colleagues at work it's like the kid the kids that uh the boy was talking to right uh, maybe the owner of Hartley Construction Company or Western Lumber Company, right? The neighborhood that is this place that the kids walk around and the father walks around. So I'm going to read the ending here. Um, uh, that was my kid, Ted said, his chest swelling. What do you guys think about that? Was he scared? Bob Walters wanted to know. Hell no, Ted Barnes replied strongly. I'll bet he was. Frederick, Fred, Frank Hendricks was from Missouri, of course, right? That's how people from Missouri are, I guess. <laughs> He's, he sure wasn't. He got the cops and brought them to the place last night. We were sitting around the dinner table wondering where the hell he was. I was getting a little worried. Ted Barnes uh, was still a proud parent. Uh, Jack Green got to his feet, looking at his watch. Time to get back to the office. Frank and Bob got up also. See you later, Ted. Green thumped Ted on the back. Remember that punch? Mm -hmm. This is the same thing, right? It's just a more adult version. Um, Some kid you got, Barnes. Chip off the old block. Yep. Ted grinned. He wasn't a bit afraid. He watched them go out of the cafeteria onto the busy noonday street. After a moment, he he gulped down the rest of his coffee and wiped his chin, standing slowly up. Not a damn bit afraid. Not one damn bit. He right. paid for this his. Yeah. Oh, sorry, this one. Uh, he paid for his lunch, pushed away his way outside onto the street. His chest still swelled, uh, still swelled up. He grinned at the people passing by as he walked back to the office, all aglow with a reflected glory. Not a bit afraid, he murmured, full of pride, a deep glowing pride. Not one damn bit. Well, the kid was scared shitless, right? So who's lying to who? Did the kid lie to his dad? Maybe. This is why your analogy with the barking dog works so well, because that's the dog going back to his house after he's barked at nothing. <laughs> like Yeah, uh, uh, nothing scary. of danger, right? Nothing dangerous and feeling all like proud and like, <laughs> you know, like killing up and wagging its tail like I'm a good dog. I protected the suburban white house that was under no threat whatsoever anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he's uh, he's uh, he's lying to himself, right? Mm-hmm. He's lying to himself about what his son felt, and we know this because he was scared shitless. That's why he comes in grim faced and trembling. Um, what uh, I thought it was so amazing. What he what does he do with his trembling hands at the beginning? He he says, uh, "I get the shakes when I see one of them." <laughs> 
Ted threw himself down on the couch, a very Philip K. Dick move, groping in his pockets for cigarettes. Honest to God, it really gets me. He lit up, blowing smoke around him in the in a gray mist. So there's the first cloud of the story, right? Mm-hmm. His hands are beginning to quiet down. He wipes sweat from his upper lip and loosened his necktie. What's for dinner? <laughs> then we get back. So Philip K. Dick is doing this thing where he presents something and then says, let's just sit with that for a while. And another Philip K. Dickism in here is uh, when the wife says, what's her name? Um, uh, Lena? Lena, that's right. Mm-hmm. Lena Barnes. She says um, uh, the history, right? And so this is set in the future. Um 1958, I think, is when the first uh, wave came. Yeah. And, and then the second wave was 19, uh, or just 59. And then we've got five waves. So I'm assuming every couple of years or so we're in the mid 60s at least, right? Yeah, but they're saying they're getting less frequent. So yeah, so mid 60s, maybe early 70s. Right. It's, it's set in the future. Um, we don't know what this future is like, except it looks exactly like the 1950s or 1940s, right? And then, so we sympathize with them, but we also haven't experienced these Martians. But when we actually come to experience what the Martians are presenting, it's not anything for us to be afraid of because we weren't Mm -hmm. indoctrinated into whatever it is, the fear of Mm -hmm. communists or the fear of blacks or the fear of uh, foreigners. And, um, I just happened to be listening to a uh, old CBS radio mystery theater um, adaptation of Prisoner of Zenda, one of my favorite stories. <laughs> yeah, Prisoner of Zenda is great. It we, is we've great. done it on the podcast. Indeed. Week, if you haven't heard it. It's a wonderful show, a wonderful audio drama, a wonderful novel. It's just terrific. Wonderful movies. Anyways, um, what I like about listening to CBS radio mystery theater is it's commercial radio drama from the late 70s, early 80s like starting in 74 or 5. And so you get uh, what's just an essentially a drama. But for some reason, most of the audio includes the uh, ads and the news right before. And it's very different than what you hear on the news today because it was CBS, right? It was It was a news station, and it also happened to have an audio drama. And so whenever I'm listening to it, I, I think how different the United States is today at, than it was in the 50s and from it was in the 70s because Jimmy Carter's president in some of these, right? And they're, they got a council on the metric system. It's coming in. Here's how we're going to do it. <laughs> nope. And, and in this particular one I was listening to, they were talking about, um, it was 75 and they were talking about, um, the refugees. Uh, the immigrants from Vietnam and how they're all arriving in California and how there's some upset about this, but they're not uh, the, they have the Lieutenant governor or whoever come on the radio and say, they're not all going to stay. They're, they're going to be distributed elsewhere. So don't worry. <laughs> and it's like, Oh yeah. Cause you know, you got all these refugees of these people who, who are from this failed, you know, war, Eventually, yeah, I guess we're pulling out. We got to take our people with us because they were our allies and they can't stay now. The communists will get them, right? And it's like, oh, it's so freaky because it is exactly sort of the problem you would see is 
yeah, there's going to be a wave of immigration from Europe, from all these uh, fleeing refugees, just like there was, uh, we forget, right? Because it's hard to understand, but like a story like um, The Hounds of Zaroff, a.k.a. Uh, the most dangerous game. It's about a uh, uh, Russian count who has to flee the Re- Russian Revolution, and he takes over some island in the Caribbean and does his evil shit there, like uh, the island of Doctor Moreau, except it's for hunting. Right. So this fear of immigrants is just—it's—it's it's, they're coming over in waves, right? And that's why those the Martians coming in clouds, drifting down. It it's a combination of a natural image, uh, like of the fall, so you expect it, and you just have to deal with it. You get a long pole. That idea of a long pole is really odd, right? But we we don't understand it at the beginning. What the pole is for? Like, is it stuck up there? Are they trying to help it down? Probably not. There's a crowd of shouting men and a long pole. But they can't get a pole in this case, so they get torches. And then they get more gasoline. And it's like, this is a fucking nightmare, right? They gotta burn this thing to death. It's evil. Pure evil. And everybody's good with it. Right? They even, you know, the cop wants to make a note in his log about this brave little boy who did his duty. So if you think about, like, um, Imagine a uh, Japanese fighter pilot is is uh, coming parachuting down over the, uh, you know, San Francisco Bay in World War II, which is a possibility, they thought, right? There was, there was a, bi- a famous Battle of Los Angeles where they got so freaked out about something in the sky that they started shelling the sky over Hollywood. Um, turns out there was nothing there, right? It was just like a huge, huge sort of freak out because they thought the Japanese were there. And if you imagine that Japanese parachutist coming down out of his bomber or his uh, thing, what would, what would the people do? Right. In Europe, they got used to this people falling out of the sky and, you know, they'd hand them over to the, to the, um, to the uh, authorities. But, if you're so built up about how there's their spies, you can see the cruelty that is just under the surface. And it scares the fuck out of Philip K. Dick, I think. Mm-hmm. If you see something, say something. Uh, yeah. You, the, what's the, the, uh, comic code authority, right? You're not allowed in under the comic code authority. You're not allowed to impugn, Police officers, judges, or politicians. Right? And so, <laughs> you can't question whether there's cops are corrupt. You can't question whether justice is always not served, right? It, it, you just have to... It's built into the programming. And that's freaky. Yeah. It's like you were saying, at the, like how the story is structured with the trembling hands at the start and then the lie at the end that yep. everything, that we, you know, that we weren't afraid at all. It's a false reality story where everyone in this society is in on it and enforcing it. Mm-hmm. You know, like the stuff with the police being brought in on it as well. It's all a fake reality to be afraid of these things that need help and none of it's real, including their supposed bravado and, you know, not being afraid of these poor, helpless aliens. And if you think about how the kids talk, it's just like how the adults talk. 
Yeah, they, mm-hmm. they, 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 yeah they, Mike they Edwards and Ralph Drake, right? Yeah. Now, Mike Edwards, uh, you know, Jimmy says, I want to see one. And uh, Mike Edwards says something like, I want to kill one. I want to get one. And then th- that's how the the dad at the office or at the cafeteria, right? He's telling his buddies at the cafeteria, that was my boy that did that, right? And they're like, no. Reflected glory is the phrase used. Yeah. He's proud of his boy and he feels mm-hmm. pride for himself through his through his child. But because remember at the beginning, as you said, he's coming in all trembling and afraid and but his boy I mean, we don't we don't know whether what Jimmy actually told him of the experience as far as how afraid he was, but he's converted into this fantasy slash fantasia of Oh yes, his son was so strong and so powerful and so fearless, and that—that's be- because he got it from me. That's the implied yeah, message. That's he got right. it from me. But what's crazy is, um, you know, if if you're a person who doesn't feel fear, you're not a person, right? It's built into creatures with brains to feel fear. Snakes can be afraid. Humans can be afraid. Birds can be afraid. Everything can be afraid, right? So if you if you say um, he was fearless. You're actually lying. What you mean mm-hmm. is he got past his fear, right? But that's not what they're saying. They're saying, you know, and, and so when, when the father at the beginning tells his son, you got to listen to me, boy. And, and then he wonders whether he should tell him if he's old enough, right? And that's a, a curious question. You got to listen to me, boy. And then, um, he says, you gotta do this when you see one of those buggies. You run, right? You tell the, you tell the authorities. Um, why is he saying that? Because it's like inside of him, he was shown something that shook him to his core, right? That is basically, they're not horrible. They're just different, right? Yeah. And that scared the shit out of him because it said to him, you're, there's something wrong with you. Right? Yeah. Because it's like, uh, you're, um, you're going to a church and they say masturbation will, um, put you in hell. And then you're like, oh shit, I, I have these strong feelings and, uh, I seem to be masturbating. I'm going to hell. But no, 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 no. I'm not a masturbator. No, 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 no. I, I resist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a good person. And it's like, what the fuck? Holy cow. It, so it, he transforms his fear into hate. It's like a transmutation. And he, and he pushes that onto the boy. And what does the boy do? He seems curious, right? He seems interested and he's like happy go lucky. But it turns out that that's not what it, what he was. He did exactly like what, what his dad did. He transmutes what he heard about the buggies um, and his reaction to what he's seeing. And uh, honestly, he could be a little afraid, I guess, if if some alien was commun- t- communicating telepathically with you, showing you a bunch of images. That, that's okay. But it goes on for a while. And there's no, nothing malicious. It's just sort of sad, right? And then ultimately, it's asking permission, not saying, do this or we'll kill your your parents. And what does he do? 
he does exactly what he's been programmed to do. He transmutes his fear of what it means about him into hate Mm -hmm. and then lies about his motivation. Right. Human beings' favorite hobby. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it's a it's a dangerous uh, and common path to go down. Mm-hmm. It's hard. hard what to about de- hard what to about the division? What about the message? That, yeah, uh, buggy sent. We haven't really talked about that. It's interesting. Like, what's the situation of these of these Martians? Um, so it's a dying Mars it? trope, right? It's a dying Mars, but there's a, a paragraph here. So mm-hmm. we get the description of the of the planet surface. It's mm-hmm. all dead, right? Dead spiders lodged in cracks. Then a se- the scene expand a scene expanded. Some sort of artificial pipe jutting up from the red baked ground. A vent underground quarters. The view changed. He was seen below, down into the core of the planet, layer after layer of crumpled rock. A withered, wrinkled planet without fire or life or moisture of any kind. Its skin crackling. Its pulp drying out and blowing up in clouds of dust. Far down in the core, a tank of some sort, a chamber sunk in the heart of the planet. He was inside the tank. Buggies were everywhere, sliding and moving around. Machines, constructions of different kinds, buildings, plants in rows, generation, generators, homes, rooms, complex equipment. So where have we seen this before in Philip Dick? Civilization <laughs> driven to below ground. Yeah. Highly mechanized. Like where it's every, post-nuclear uh, fallout. To, it's kind of an industrial hell. The vaults from Fallout Three and Four and yeah, New Vegas. The penultimate truth. Mm-hmm. The penultimate truth. Right. Mm-hmm. And and so, yeah, as, as a society I, broke I, down, I they notice, go out. Yeah, you're right. I missed, must have missed the detail here. The first last time I read this, mm-hmm. the ecological story here struck me because this is where he sees declining civilizations go is, is into these bunkers. Mm. Uh, Mm-hmm. Oh. To, 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 to slowly wither away. And it's unless so. You, unless you try something desperate like going to a planet full of water only to have the native xenophobically kill you. But yeah. it, it's a, it's a nice want, contrast. What they want, though, is not in industrial. They, they want to give up that way of life and just, just live on yachts or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what they say. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. So the, it's not the thing is is it's not without risk to bring immigrants into your society, right? It is not without risk. But the thing is is there are rewards too, right? So we don't see what the rewards would be here, but that's true of every situation. Right? <laughs> Just because things change doesn't mean they always change for the worse. We got a good mm-hmm. situation going. Let's keep it going, right? But if you see the contrast, that distant green sphere is Earth, turns out, right? Turning slowly cloud-covered, broad oceans, blue water, miles deep, moist atmosphere. Well, the buggies are so dried out, they're dried out husks and they're blind. It's, it's like, wow, this is, this is terrible. Somehow they got off their, pl- their, their dying planet. They just want to live and be water spiders, I guess. Um, and then they're going to reproduce. That's going to be a problem, says the humans. Maybe. We can't have that. We can't have them breeding. Better to exterminate them. I mean, think about how it's organized, right? It isn't like there's a brigade of of trucks driving around the neighborhood. It is done much more like um, when they show up, we kill them. Mm-hmm. And everybody participates. It's a It's your civic duty to 
when you see a Japanese parachute is land or whatever, <laughs> to stab him with a pitchfork. Because, and you can't listen to them talk because they'll tell you lies and make you doubt that the war is a good idea or whatever. And that's really, it is really subversive, so. It's actually a little bit scarier than the world Jones made because there Jones is using the aliens just, I mean, he's kind of using this xenophobia to build up his political movement, but it's all politicized. It's organized. It's from the top down. This seems just much more visceral. Mm-hmm. So even um, that scene where the buggy is like crawling up the tree, trying to get away from the people, is it's so brief, but it's so horrifying. Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no political movement or party advocating against buggies. It's just society itself that's basically gone full on xenophobic about these things, there's, which is depressing because there's no other side. It's just like this entire society is determined to kill these things as soon as they show up. That's really dark and depressing. I wanted to uh, talk about um, just who is doing the programming br- briefly. Um, so uh, Jimmy's dad says, um, you were shown pictures of them at school. Um, so th- there's some sort of, you know, education. Oh, uh, I missed that. Uh, yeah, you know, you've, you've seen pictures of them at school, but I, I need to talk to you about them. Right? <laughs> and then... Um, as soon as the father's at home and he throws himself down on the couch, what's he do? He sits on the couch and listens to the TV murmuring to itself. And then we get uh, TV a couple more times. They should. I heard on television they're more organized than last time. So the TV's programming them, right? Mm-hmm. And then... Another line down later. The TV announcer said most of them are already rounded up, Ralph said. There aren't that many this time. And then lastly, um, his mother in the kitchen, the TV set, murmuring to itself in the corner, the warm, bright living room. Um, that idea of the bright living room is actually what comes to Jimmy. Jimmy does it twice in the story where he imagines what his parents are doing right at home. Mm-hmm. Right, his dad on the couch, his mom in the kitchen, the living room's bright. And as they're walking, as he's walking down the street, looking at the other houses in the neighborhood, he can see the yellow light coming through. Right, and he can also see. I'm just bring it up here if I can. Yeah, here it is. Jimmy stood for a moment, watching. The night was cold. A frigid wind blew around him, chilling him through his clothing. He thought suddenly of dinner. And his father stretched out on the couch, reading the newspaper. Again, more programming. His mother in the kitchen, fixing dinner. The warmth of the friendly, yellow, homey warmth. So uh, we've got this idea of the home being a center of warmth and caring, right? And it is, except when you're getting whipped. The garage is a place where you find dried out things, like father (laughs) things or old... Uh, poles for uh, raking leaves, right? And then when you're walking around the neighborhood uh, where you see empty lots and ditches and all the things, kids come by on their bike and they punch you in the shoulder. But the real, the thing you really need to be afraid of is the things up on the roof, the thing up in the, in the uh, tree, because those are the real dangers. So it, 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 it's very powerful. 
He knows what he's doing. And, and so it's a weird, it's a weird story because it seems very insubstantial, <laughs> nebulous a little bit. But, um, what, what he's going for, it, it's a very small thing. And I, I think he nails it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Philip K. Dick, super talented writer. And writing about stuff that other people are not so interested in. I, I don't know of any science fiction writer who writes about children as much as Philip K. Dick. From their point of view. Hmm. Sure. I mean, there are YA novels, but this that's not what these are. This is 11-year-old. No. So, good story. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, I think your show on it, Evan, was only 17 minutes. I think we're going to at least double that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it was a long, lot more here. It was three I years ago. I went yeah, back and really listened have. to it. Yeah. Uh, it's, well, I'm seeing stuff I missed, like about how the buggies were living and mm-hmm. underground. I think also with, uh, there's a lot more, if I go back, you know, think more about Philip Dick, I want to, there's a lot more I want to say about the, the relationship between children and parents. Mm-hmm. I think this actually comes from reading somewhat Stephen King, that mm. I'm thinking like the way he handles kids is so different than how Philip Dick handles kids. Cause there's something uh, like less like there's more optimism in King with kids but at the same time there's there's a little bit of hope in Phil Dick with kids I think from from time to time but mm-hmm. it's it's all corrupted in, in, by society uh, newspapers ways. a lot of stories written around this time that deal with kids in really interesting ways like that cookie lady mm-hmm. the the there's one called project Earth or something? Tony and the Beatles. Tony and the Beatles. There's Project Earth, the father thing. Mm-hmm. And then you got uh, the kids in... Uh, father thing could have been written, written by Stephen avatars, King. But yeah. the kids in the, the Cosmic Puppets, mm-hmm. they're avatars of gods, but, but they still present to us as children. Mm-hmm. And he, even when he d- he's doing stories that are about married adults, sometimes they yeah. are actually children, like in the uh, of withered apples right oh yeah it's a the wife has to ask her permission of the husband to go outside and the Mm -hmm. father-in-law is there and they're like we're dealing with important business things (laughs) we're doing the taxes or whatever can i go outside and play with my tree okay but be back before (laughs) dinner (laughs) it's it's freaky it's freaky weirdness um so yeah, the word newspaper shows up, uh, I think, six times. Let's see if I can find it all here. Because um, I, I, I think that's you know, when you're a kid, the, the everything's new. That that ditch is important for Paul. The mm-hmm. uh, the I used to deliver newspapers, you know, in the morning. It's important that they get out early enough and show up on people's doorsteps. It was a needed commodity, right? So um, the first time it shows up. Um, I think I'm going to try and make it come up here. No, it's not coming up. Okay. I'll just read them in the order. I find them. Um, he thought about dinner, dad with the shoes off, reading the newspaper, right? Newspapers where he gets his programming. They poured gasoline over newspapers, heaped it in a ring around the base of the tree. Now, one of the things, um, you think about how newspapers work is nobody has any value for newspapers that are old, right? 
newspapers, I'm delivering them in the morning. At f- I have to get up at 5 a.m., deliver them before everybody gets off to work. Um, if you deliver the newspaper late, that doesn't make out, like, nobody wants an old newspaper. Three-week-old newspaper, no value. Now, if there's something very specific in that newspaper that you wanted, then it becomes valuable to you, but the generalized value is gone. And why is this important as opposed to a, a, a book, right? Because the newspaper is telling you what's happening now, in a certain sense, but it's also telling you how to think now, right? So whenever the New York Times puts out a headline that I think is ridiculous, I just go back and have the one where Colin Powell is shaking the little vial, right? I think, you know, Saddam Hussein is making weapons of mass destruction. If you If you buy that uncritically... You can get, you know, 650,000 people killed for no reason. Why? Because of a lie that the newspaper was telling you and the vice president is saying, I, it's in the newspaper after he leaked it to the newspaper, right? Um, the value of a newspaper is in its programming of today. So if you think about how 1984 works, right? What do they do? They're trying to tell you how to think today. So that, you know, whatever happened in the past, that didn't exist. That doesn't matter. We get rid of old newspapers. We wrap them in fish. We use them for burning. They have no value, unlike books. And so, you wrap fish in newspapers. That's right. You wrap fish in newspapers, what? right? You make the, <laughs> you wrap the newspapers in fish. That would be disgusting. And so, what do we see when they're killing the buggy? The buggy was on fire. It moved clumsily, trying to get away. Suddenly it dropped, falling from the branch below for a second. It hung on the branch, crackling, smoking. Then the branch gave way with a rending crackle. The buggy fell to the ground among the newspapers and gasoline. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're saying that yeah, the buggy is now dried up and useless, just like these newspapers are. Yes. Yep. And you burn the newspaper as a fire starter. But it's also to prevent people from archiving them so that they can't go back and see how things actually were. It's burning. It's down the memory hole, right? So when the buggies, if this is the last of the buggies coming, right? I would assume it was based on the, they're getting less and less. Um, in a few years, they won't remember that they even had a buggy invasion. And if they do, it won't be important. And in a couple of generations, it will be completely forgotten. That's the sense I get from it. And that's mm-hmm. that's the horror of this uh, supposedly science fiction story. It's a horror story. It's yeah. also a horror story as well as a science fiction story. Well, it's, it's like, it, hey, uh, remember that time uh, our ancestors genocided the Neanderthals? I don't. But <laughs> we keep going around the planet uh, finding all these extinction of the megafauna just as humans are showing up i wonder what i wonder what caused that oh i guess we'll never know yeah i mean all these ice age mammals in in north america just doing their thing and all being happy and then humans show up and then they all mysteriously they disappear (laughs) what happened to the megafauna as we're carrying around our knife all covered in blood i can't imagine what happened to (laughs) it's so ridiculous so, yeah, very powerful story. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. 
please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio. skin where the, the aliens come second soul maybe a second soul yeah the, these alien refugees come and they mm. just need to like they can when they die they can just move into another like a dead body this is the 95 like parasite outer limits rather than the original yeah, yeah it's a highly yeah, rated one for some one. reason they yeah. almost all of them suck but this oh come high. on! You're too hot. Lim- the 90s outer limits. Yeah, I watched them all. I used to sell them. Yeah, I watched them all too, and they don't all suck. Most of them I suck. Know, maybe I remember them different. I, compared to the 60s outer limits, it's, it's much better. And uh, yeah, but the outer limits was not the Twilight Zone though either. A gaseous alien race that has remained without a mother planet seeks a refuge on Earth. They do not pose any threat, and the only thing they are looking for is to inhabit the bodies of deceased people. Because they can survive yeah, in a no gaseous state. Yeah, no one wants to, uh, to, 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 like, see their, like, and ex-wife. That, and that reminds me of wife a, walking around in an alien body. So that reminds me of a, of a Ninth Doctor, new, I can quote, aka New Doctor, a Ninth Doctor episode in set, in, set with, um, what's his name, with Charles Dickens. I don't know. I'm thinking I might have to watch The with, Other Limits to make a formal argument here. On, <laughs> do it. It sounds, fight, it sounds. Fight, fight. <laughs> no, no, no! It sounds like a good episode. I'm just saying, like, I, I I watched them all because I was hoping they were all good, and I was like, oh fuck, that one's weak. It's surprising it went so long. I mean, they're series. they're they're mixed. I'll, I'll grant that, but there's some really so, nice. I did I did the so, so Sam Kings. I did that show with Scott. I don't know, if, Paul, you were on that. I. I I might have been. I don't know, I've, but that the, that's the first episode, and Sand King's the, the story the, is the, kick of, ass. Of the new Outer Limits. That's what that's limits. the one we're talking about, though. That's the one. Okay, Evan's okay. I was just making about. sure because I wasn't sure. So that that's one of the best episodes, and it's fucking weak. Um, and what's so good is the the, the story by George R. R. Martin is really solid, right? Uh, but the Sand yeah, King's adaptation about, not solid. Yeah, there's a little bit on Twitter about oh how. Game of Thrones isn't even the best George R. R. Martin out there. The Saint Kings get kept getting thrown up. It's as a good story. It's better real, than Game of Thrones. It's very Jack Vancey. Yeah, it's, it's very hard. It um, is very Jack Vancey. Yeah, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. We don't do enough Jack Vance on this show, but there's not a lot of his on audio. Unfortunately, not, that's right. It's just sad. Sad story. Um, there. You know, one of the problems with the uh, the show is they didn't do very many adaptations. Um, they did a couple yeah. per season, but I, I'm of the opinion. They did a Stephen King adaptation. Did the they? One where the, it's the one where the woman is, I, I, told, I have a vague recollection of it. Even the story, I don't quite remember. It's been a while. Like every, I, I only read that story once. In Constant Moon, that's the best episode of, of the show. That's the Larry, when, based on the Larry Niven one. I know you have an affection for that story too. It's, so. But it's a great idea for a story, and the adaptation's solid, right? Um, but the majority of them aren't adaptations. So they're saying, hey, we got some science fiction ideas, rather than here's something that was worthy of writing out and then adapting. But it's it's not a terrible show, but 
it's not a good show. And that's really upsetting because I wanted to like it a lot. Because I, I, I'm in favor of anthologies. But you have to, yeah, there's the Stephen King one. The Revelations of Becca Paulson. Oh, yeah, that's the one. Becca Paulson accidentally shoots herself in the head while watching a soap opera. The bullet lodges in her brain and begins to have some strange effects. In a stroke of luck, the bullet does not kill Becca, but her severe brain damage causes her to begin to hallucinate that the picture of the tuxedoed stranger on on top of the TV who calls himself 8 by 10 man <laughs> in the original story it was a picture of Jesus is talking to her under advice of the 8 by 10 man I haven't seen this one Becca eventually decides to kill her worthless hub- husband and in a bit of deranged savantry, savantry rigs up the television under 8 by 10 man's instructions to deliver a fatal electrical pulse to whoever touches the knob Becca in the end tricks her husband into touching it as <laughs> she begins to uh, but as he begins to be fatally electrocuted, she finally re- realizes just what she's done and tries to save him. All she does is alter the circuit by touching him, and the two fall dead, the victim of a tragic quirk of fate that was far, was in the end, far from lucky, based on the Actually, storm. it reminds me of Stephen King's story, this one he wrote called Supper Little Children, where mm. it's about this teacher who just starts seeing the students as devils or mm. demons to get her and she just murders them all <laughs> like murders all the kids uh, it's just like she went crazy and murdered hey, all the kids what story is this for the little children mm. it's just and then i think she ends up being in like an asylum that's a crazy woman but she just lost it the kids drove her nuts <laughs> I'm, I'm it's, just it's really horrible. Like she takes the kids one after another to like the closet or, or to this other room and shoots them. Mm-hmm. I'm looking through the list, uh, and it's all they're very few adaptations. Times a good one, I remember. There's a Harlan Ellison. This one, uh, that one's another good one. The Human Operators by Harlan Ellison and A. E. Van Vaught. But the story's even better. Um, human humanity constructs advanced military spacecraft. I think they did a sequel to that one as well. But the ships learn to think for themselves. They kill their crews by disengaging the life support systems. However, they kept a small number of humans alive for repairs. They cannot do themselves. So it turns into, um, if you guys know the Blue Lagoon, which is uh, based on a story, it's kind of like the Blue Lagoon where there's two spaceships, each with like one human operator, uh, one male, one female, and they like the two mm-hmm. spaceships come together because they're trying to, they need to keep like one person involved so that they can like literally plug and unplug like little things on board the ship. But the, the Harlan Ellison part of the story is the cruelty, right? <laughs> and the, I guess the A.E. Van Vaught part is the high concept of, uh, but anyways, it's a, it's a good, a really good story and a very good, um, adaptation it's not amazing but it's a good adaptation but it, the majority yeah, of these I are just, i kind of dug the jump off because uh, yep. like uh, the deep programmers i'm looking at the list the deep programmers where mm-hmm. these aliens conquer earth and i'm marissa program, be slaves. Bye, marissa. all right oh, okay see you guys later. sorry yeah my no husband wants to do a podcast now on his <laughs> <laughs> let me have that mic <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right all right talk to you later, later. bye-bye yeah what were you saying, Evan? Uh, no, this episode, the deep programmers, where these aliens keep everyone as like house slaves. They just brainwash the humans to be their slaves, and then 
the guy gets rescued by like the resistance. Hmm. Deprogrammed, but it's actually just a like the two factions of the aliens deprogrammed him to assassinate hmm. the other guy or something. No, it's not really the resistance, it's just inter factions of the aliens. And then they reprogram him at the end of the episode. And it's got data. They, the actor, Brian Brent Spiner. Spiner plays the. No, they they got uh, lots of good actors. Hero of that. There's like a, a schlockiness to some of these episodes, and and then that they kind of over over argued like moral. Mm, yes. Nonsense. You know the sucks. opening and closing narration suck as well. Like they, there was almost no point to any of that. It's like is this is the format we have, but it. When I, when I heard... Um, we always laughed about it when we were watching it. Back in the early 2000s. Yeah. It's like, when we only had like three channels, me and Xiaopei, mm-hmm. and Marine, we had, mm-hmm. we'd watch Mad TV and Outer Limits and like, Married with Children reruns, things like that. Hey, Jesse, I got a proposal for a Jack Vance novel for you. All right. Have you ever heard of To Live Forever? Mm, no, I don't think so. Okay, I'll read the summary, see if to this interests live. you. Waylock had been granted eternal life, but now he was killing on borrowed time. Gavin Waylock had wanted seven, he waited seven years for the scandal surrounding his former immortal self to be forgotten, and had kept his identity concealed so he could once again join the ranks of those who live forever. He'd been exceedingly careful about hiding his past, then he met the Jastinath. She was beautiful 19-year-old and Gavin Wonder, but he recognized that a wisdom far behind her years marked her as one who knew too much about him to live. As far as she was concerned, death was a mere inconvenience. But once the Jacinth came back, Gavin's Waylock's life would become an everlasting hell. So it's about basically using clones to basically extend your life forever, and he did some very bad things, and, well, the Jacinth knows what he did, and so it's a cat-and-mouse game between him and her, basically untangle his life and basically try to trying to try to live forever and mm. see one step it's ahead good length her. it's seven and a, seven hours 49 minutes there's an audiobook yeah it's not a, it's not it's not a long it's not a long book so i think it might let be me just listen to the sample enough. here make sure the narrator doesn't excitement, suck cries of shock and surprise and delight as the night went on the intoxication of carnival became a thing in itself the celebrants pressed through the noise the hundred horns and musics. Sounds fine. They breathed. Era- All right. Um, let's uh, look. Uh, make sure it's not number two in a series or anything. No, no, it's a standalone. That looks, I, I wanted to looks, make sure. Looks good. All right. Uh, you want to book it? I yeah. Let's put it. Uh, let's put it around. Let's put let's put it into April. This way okay. we can. Uh, <laughs> Get get people more people onto this. All right. the it shouldn't be it moment. shouldn't be a problem. It shouldn't be a problem. People, I mean, Jack Vance is popular, right? Maybe not. <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe not. I mean, if this was Paul Anderson, we'd have Scott for sure. But well, you know, I, I I I'm the I'm the I'm the Jack Vance stand around here, so it might take some doing. Have any good for this? Uh, so, maybe I'm going to send you the Wikipedia entry here. Um, Keeping in mind, Live the retitled Clargaze. Um, like like Philip K. Dick, Jack Fence's sense of titling was never always the best. Floyd C. Gale praised the novel as frighteningly logical, saying that 
The sick inbred society of Vance's imagination comes fully alive, even oh, though oh, oh, his characters remain mere symbols. Lovely. Yes. Because, you know, Jack Vance loves to show weird, almost grotesque societies and how they're, yeah, just not sustainable. Dude, it says Malthusian horrors. This is Evan's jam. <laughs> All right. See? All you have to All say is <laughs> Malthusian yeah, horrors. Put them on. There. I'm putting you on, Evan. I think he's good with it. You just have to say Malthusian horrors. <laughs> I didn't realize that was the right button to press. Okay, yeah. there we go. Uh, the only thing that yeah, can ma- make him happier. Jack Vance is, is, is right. the Malthusian. I guess we'll find out. only thing that can make Evan uh, more excited is if you said uh, the book was about triracial isolates. <laughs> 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 Maroons or pirates. Or something. <laughs> That's right. Speaking of which, I was watching a pirate movie last night um, based on a... It's called The Black Swan. Um, based on uh, Henry Morgan's um, Rule of Jamaica. You know, he was... Uh, Captain Henry Morgan was like a privateer who uh, was... They were going to hang him and they decided instead to make him a sir and make him governor or lieutenant governor of um, Jamaica. And then he has to round up all the pirates and say, you either take a hundred, hundred uh, acres of land and stop being pirates or I have to hunt you down. And, um, the movie, uh, was from, I want to say 52. I tweeted about it. Um, and it was like, it's the most brutal, um, I've never seen, um, like women getting slapped around as much. <laughs> There's basically one moment, woman in the movie. And the very first thing he does is um, he slaps an, a pistol out of her hand and then he uh, tries to kiss her like in that um, uh, that uh, Jarell of Jory, you know? Jarell of Jory, yes. Yeah, the opening scene. And uh, she bites him. And uh, so he, he, I think he punches her out. <laughs> and, then, and then later on, um, they're like capturing the port. Um, and he, he throws her over his shoulder after she's punched out, carrying her along. And then Captain Henry Morgan comes in and he's like, my friend. And he throws her off her shoulder, his shoulder onto the ground. And then, um, he kidnaps her. It's, it's like such, it's like almost a comedy. I, I guess it's supposed to be a comedy. Um, he kidnaps her. Uh, takes her on the ship, and then they come after him for various reasons. Um, not Henry Morgan, but the main character. And, um, uh, gets in bed with her. And, you know, it's also, it's very, um, abusive. But at the, at the final scene, uh, he said earlier in the film, I'm, I won't touch you until you say my name three times. Um, and it's Jamie boy, right? Jamie boy, Jamie boy, Jamie boy. And then she repeats back to him what, uh, she said in the open, he said to her in the opening, uh, meet. And it was like, wow, this is like, this film is unfilmable today, but it's, it's much more realistic about pirates on what they do is they just go and like tear shit up and drink too much. Like it's, it was very realistic is what I'm saying. Um, I, I, I was wild. Speak, speak, speaking of guns and weird movies and weird tones, I but the the other day I was just flipping through a streaming service randomly, and I landed on a movie that I'd heard of but never actually saw. 
Have you ever watched Quigley Down Under? Yeah, I've seen it. I'd so. never seen it before. I'd heard it's it, but I never saw it. It's, it's like, not amazing. What's that? It's good. It's good. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was more. I, I thought, yeah, I thought, I thought it was like, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm gonna turn this off after ten minutes. And I just kept, it was compelling enough, especially when Alan Rickman shows. So like, oh shit, now it's a good actor here. Now I'm gonna be stuck watching this movie. And yeah, it was. I, I mean, it's got weird British colonial politics in Australia with the Aborigines. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure. It's a I mean, Western it, 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 with a Western it, it, character a Western, in Australia like, during the same period, like 80, 1888 yeah, or something. But it kind of goes almost into the magical Negro type with the Aborigines, and that's a little. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that actually works so well. But it was, it was entertaining, and and and, and the callback at the end. I mean, when he shoot spoiler spoiler. I mean, when he shoots, when he shoots, when he shoots <laughs> the bad when he shoots the bad guy because it seems like oh no he's not any good at pistols, and then when he gets into a gunfight with the with 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 Alan Rickman, he tears him tears him a new one. It's like. I, I said I said I said I like because I didn't say I couldn't use one. It's like burn. <laughs> it's just like it's a great it's a great little bit. It's like oh man, six so point six point eight for the Black Swan. It's nineteen forty two and it's, it's Technicolor. It's on YouTube. Well, well, it must be some really weird. I mean, that's early color. So Black, mm-hmm. that's the name of the pirate stuff. Uh, yeah, Black I just tweeted Swan. the the Twitter link. Um, with yeah. a Rogers YouTube got link. some kind of pirate project. Who? She's got a my daughter. She's oh, got a cool. secret Instagram, which I like. I praised her, and she's like, "Don't tell anyone." <laughs> Meanwhile, you're telling Jesse. I'm not on Instagram, well, so you accidentally left a link somewhere in some of your uh-huh. social media. She's like, "Oh, I got to erase that. I can't let mommy know." <laughs> she's developed like three characters: like a woman and like two pirates. Dressed like pirates, and uh-huh. she's working on backgrounds. She's like, <laughs> what, like, conquest of the space sea? Now look at your. Wait, wait, wait. She might have it's, some pirate characters coming. What do you mean, like, like she's making like personalities? She's, she's drawing these characters. Oh, I see. Facial uh, I got you, got of you. them, and she's kind of hinting. She's developing like relationships between these characters, <laughs> story backstory thing. Hilarious. Like she's trying to put oh, together yeah. a graphic novel. Pir- like I think she's working on a graphic novel. Awesome. Reno Hara and Tyrone Power, yeah. It's a good movie. I also tweeted yeah, about Captain Pirate, which is another Raphael Sabatini. Um, I, I looked into doing Raphael Sabatini's other stuff. We did Scaramouche. Uh, but, yeah, uh, Scaramouche, Scaramouche, where you do the Fandango. All the other Sorry. ones on LibriVox are either collaborations or something wrong with them. So we're not going to do that. But um, that Captain Pirate, not a great movie. But the other, the other one there, um, Black Swan, is quite good. Very entertaining. Um, and uh, Maureen O'Hara, when she's talking about how good the movie was, um, the Wikipedia entry it's, uh, says, Everything you could want in a lavish pirate picture. A magnificent ship with thundering cannons, a dashing hero, battling menacing villains, sword fights, fabulous costumes... Exhilarating working with power, who is renowned for his wicked sense of humor. What's so funny is you see this, the, the hero. Oh, and Anthony Quinn, uh, is a pirate with an eye patch, which is pretty good. Um, the hero Art. has like no muscles. He's just like a guy. I, I think that's so awesome. <laughs> it's like, hey, he takes off his shirt. Look at that. Look at that beefcake. And he's like, 
I mean, he's not fat. <laughs> he's not super skinny. But if you see the the poster, even is like, uh, that might be a little bit of exaggeration about how beefy he is. Uh, but he's got a great mustache. So <laughs> priorities. That's basically what you need. I mean, uh, it was uh, it was well done. So apparently, uh, Raphael Sabatini just basically lifted most most of his stuff from the story of of Henry Morgan. And uh, inc- that included, yeah, I guess you saw it there, Paul. Um, um, an article about the earthquake in, have you heard about this, Evan? Uh, a true and perfect uh, relation of the most sad and terrible earthquake at Port Royal in Jamaica, which happened on Tuesday, the 7th of 1692, where in two minutes' time the town was sunk underground and 2,000 souls perished with the manner of it at large in a letter from thence. And they found out that it was happened at 11.43 a.m. Because they found a, like a watch or something yeah. at the time. Yeah. So um, apparently most of the Port Royal uh, sunk in an earthquake, a huge 7.5. Or, yeah, uh, I think I heard that. The, 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 the phrase is liquefaction. <laughs> yeah, that's what one of the communities near here is subject to because it's, uh, it's basically... It's a floodplain that's been building up for millennia. And uh, so I'm not in danger of that, but if you live in Richmond, you're in deep. That's where the airport is here. I I mean, if if the Cascadia subduction zone goes, everything from Vancouver to Portland's going to be fracked. Uh, Cascadia subduction zone? What do you mean? Um, I I mean, that the whole area of the Pacific Northwest is. In a subduction zone, and a, and it's not as famous as San Andreas Fault, but there's a whole gigantic oh, yeah. geologic fault. They're ready to go. Uh, the, oh, I'm more worried about so the one to Fuca plate, which is the one that's nearby. That's that's the one that gives us earthquakes. Um, yeah, yeah, but we're not going to have these things can let, let, let off one tension can let off another. It can, it 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 could get real yeah, nasty. It's related, fast. but it's a slow motion earthquake or slow-motion car crash, so I think we'll be all right. We, we do have earthquakes here. Have you ever been in the car crash, Jesse? Uh, sure. No, I mean, not it, major it, ones. It, it, it is weird that time does seem to slow down when you're in a car crash. It is. The, the, <laughs> I like I, it to I slow down before the car crash, that, I didn't be- so I can I avoid them. I believe for years that that was a thing. I thought, oh, no, that's everyone lying. That's just urban legend. That was in the car crash. I was like, oh, my God, this really this, does how it feels. Mm. Very strange. But I've got to go because it's about time for me to run my game. All right. Time for bed for me, too. All right, sir. Take care, Evan. Take care, Jesse. I've I've got tons of stuff tonight, Jesse. After after gaming tonight, I have a a conversation with some friends. So there won't be no PUBG for me tonight. Uh, No worries. It's okay. Just so you know. Yep. I'm good. Thanks. Uh, All right. Get more chicken dinners. (laughs) We'll see. All right. Thanks. Bye, Paul. There's a ghost forest if you look at that Wikipedia entry for the subduction zone. That's kind of cool. I never noticed knew about this before. All right. All right. Oh, no. What time is it? Hey, what time is your round? What time sleep. is it? What time is it? Two Three. o'clock. Two. Okay, go to bed. Good night. Good night. See you around. Second skin, where the the aliens come. Second soul. Maybe a second soul. Yeah, the, these alien refugees come, and they mm. just need to 
like they can when they die they can just move into another like a dead body. This is the ninety five like outer limits rather than the original. Yeah, yeah it's a highly the, rated one for some one. reason. They yeah. almost all of them suck. But this oh, one's come on. You're too hot. Lim- 90 Outer Limits? Yeah, I watched them all. I used to sell them. Yeah, I watched them all, too, and they don't all suck. Most of them suck. Know, maybe I remember them different. They, compared to the 60s Outer Limits, it's, it's much better. And uh, Yeah, but the Outer Limits was not the Twilight Zone, though, either. A gaseous alien race that has remained without a mother planet seeks a refuge on Earth. They do not pose any threat, and the only thing they are looking for is to inhabit the bodies of deceased people. Because they can survive yeah, in a gaseous state. Yeah, no one wants to, uh, to, 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 like, see their, like, and ex-wife. That, and that so reminds me of a... dead wife walking around in an alien body. So that reminds me of a, of a Ninth Doctor, new, I can quote, aka New Doctor, a Ninth Doctor episode in set, in, set with, uh, what's name, with Charles Dickens. I don't know. I'm thinking I might have to watch The with, Other Limit to make a formal argument here. On, <laughs> do it. It sounds... Fight, it sounds, fight, fight. <laughs> no, no, no! It sounds like a good episode. I'm just saying, like, I, I I watched them all because I was hoping they were all good, and I was like, oh fuck, that one's weak. It's surprising it went so long. I mean, they're, they're they're mixed. I'll I'll grant that, but there's some really nice. I did I did the uh, so Sand Kings. I did that show with Scott. I don't know, if, Paul, you were on that. I. I I might have been. I don't well, know, I, but that, that that's the first episode, and Sand King's the, the story of the, of the, is kick of the, of ass. The new outer limits, not that's what that's limits. the one we're talking about, though. That's the one. Okay, Evan's okay. I was just making about. sure because I wasn't sure. So that that's one of the best episodes, and it's fucking weak. Um, and what's so good is the the, the story by George R. R. Martin is really solid, right? Uh, but the yeah, Sand, Sand King's adaptation about, not solid. Yeah, there's a little bit on Twitter about oh how. Game of Thrones isn't even the best George R. R. Martin out there. The Saint Kings get kept getting thrown up. It's as a good story. It's better real, than Game of Thrones. It's very Jack Vancey. Yeah, it's, it's very hard. It um, is very Jack Vancey. Yeah, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. We don't do enough Jack Vance on this show, but there's not a lot of this on audio. Unfortunately, no, that's right. It's just sad. Sad story. Um, there, you know, one of the problems with uh, the show is they didn't do very many adaptations. Um, they did a couple yeah. per season, but I, I'm of the opinion. They did a Stephen King adaptation. Did the they? One where the, it's the one where the woman is. I I, told, I have a vague recollection of it. Even the story, I don't quite remember. It's been a while. Like every I, I read that story once. In Constant Moon, that's the best episode of of the show. That's the Larry when based on the Larry David one. You have an affection for that story too. It's, so. But it's a great idea for a story, and the adaptation's solid, right? Um, but the majority of them aren't adaptations. So they're saying, hey, we got some science fiction ideas, rather than here's something that was worthy of writing out and then adapting. But it's it's not a terrible show, but it's not a good show. And that's really upsetting, because I wanted to like it a lot. Because I, I, I'm in favor of anthologies. But you have to, yeah. There's a Stephen King one, The Revelations of Becca Paulson. Oh yeah, that's the one. Becca Paulson accidentally shoots herself in the head while watching a soap opera. The bullet lodges in her brain and begins to have some strange effects. In a stroke of luck, the bullet does not kill Becca, but her severe brain damage causes her to begin to hallucinate that the picture of the tuxedoed stranger on 
on top of the TV who calls himself 8x10 man. <laughs> In the original story, it was a picture of Jesus is talking to her. Under advice of the 8x10 men, I haven't seen this one, Becca eventually decides to kill her worthless hub- husband, and in a bit of deranged savantry, savantry, rigs up the television under 8x10 man's instructions to deliver a fatal electrical pulse to whoever touches the knob. Becca, in the end, tricks her husband into touching it, but as she begins to... Uh, but as he begins to be fatally electrocuted, she finally re- realizes just what she's done and tries to save him. All she does is alter the circuit by touching him, and the two fall dead, the victim of a tragic quirk of fate that was far, was in the end, far from lucky. Based on the Actually, storm. it reminds me of Stephen King's story, this one he wrote called Supper of Little Children, where mm. it's about this teacher who just starts seeing the students as devils or mm. demons to get her and she just murders them all <laughs> like murders all the kids uh, it's just like she went crazy and murdered hey, all the kids what story is this for the little children mm. it's just and then i think she ends up being in like an asylum that's a crazy woman but she just lost it the kids drove her nuts <laughs> I'm, I'm just but it's just really horrible. Like she takes the kids one after another to like the closet or, or to this other room and shoots them. Mm-hmm. I'm looking through the list, uh, and it's all they're very few adaptations. Time's a good one, I remember. There's a Harlan Ellison. This one, uh, that one's another good one. The Human Operators by Harlan Ellison and A.E. Van Vaught. But the story's even better. Um, human humanity constructs advanced military spacecraft. I think they did a sequel to that one as well. But the ships learn to think for themselves. They kill their crews by disengaging the life support systems. However, they kept a small number of humans alive for repairs. They cannot do themselves. So it turns into, um, if you guys know the Blue Lagoon, which is uh, based on a story, it's kind of like the Blue Lagoon where there's two spaceships, each with like one human operator, uh, one male, one female, and they like the two mm-hmm. spaceships come together because they're trying to, they need to keep like one person involved so that they can like literally plug and unplug like little things on board the ship. But the, the Harlan Ellison part of the story is the cruelty, right? <laughs> and uh, I guess the E.E. Van Vaught part is the high concept of, uh, but anyways, it's a, it's a good, a really good story and a very good, um, adaptation it's not amazing but it's a good adaptation but it, the majority yeah, of these I are just, i kind of dug the shock because uh, yep. like uh, the deep programmers i'm looking at the list the deep programmers where mm-hmm. these aliens conquer earth and i'm marissa program, be slaves Bye, marissa. all right oh, okay see you guys later. sorry yeah my no husband wants to do a podcast now on his <laughs> <laughs> let me have that mic <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right all right talk to you later, later. bye-bye yeah what were you saying, Evan? Uh, no, this episode, the deep programmers, where these aliens keep everyone as like house slaves. They just brainwash the humans to be their slaves, and then the guy gets rescued by like the resistance, hmm. deprogrammed. But it's actually just a like the two factions of aliens deprogrammed him to assassinate hmm. the other guy or something. No, it's not really the resistance; it's just inter factions of aliens. And then they reprogram him at the end of the episode, and it's got data. The, the actor, Brian's, Brent Spiner. Spiner plays the. No, they they got lots of good actors. Hero of that, 
there's like a, a schlockiness to some of these episodes and, and the, that the kind of over over argued like moral mm, yes nonsense you know like, the opening and closing narration suck that. as well like the, there was almost no point to any of that it's like is this is the format we have but it when I, when I heard um we always laughed about it when we were watching it back in the 2000s yeah it's like when we only had like three channels me and Shopei mm-hmm. and Marine we had, mm-hmm. you'd watch Mad TV and Outer Limits and like married with children who runs things like that hey Jesse I got a proposal for a Jack Vance novel for you all right have you ever heard of to live forever Mm, no, I don't think so. Okay, I'll read the summary. See if Dude, this interests yeah. you. Waylock had been granted eternal life, but now he was killing on borrowed time. Gavin Waylock had wanted seven, he waited seven years for the scandal surrounding his former immortal self to be forgotten, and had kept his identity concealed so he could once again join the ranks of those who live forever. He had been exceedingly careful about hiding his past. Then he met the Jastinen. She was beautiful, 19-year-old, and Gavin Wonder, but he recognized that a wisdom far behind her years marked her as one who knew too much about him to live. As far as she was concerned, death was a mere inconvenience. But once the Jacinths came back, Gavin's Waylock's life would become an everlasting hell. So it's about basically using clones to basically extend your life forever, and he did some very bad things, and, well, the Jacinth knows what he did, and so it's a cat-and-mouse game between him and her, basically untangle his life and basically try to trying to try to live forever and mm. see one step it's good length her. it's seven and a, seven hours 49 minutes there's an audiobook yeah it's not a, it's not it's not a long it's not a long book so i think it might let be me just listen to the sample enough. here make sure the narrator doesn't suck cries of shock and surprise and delight as the night went on the intoxication of carnival became a thing in itself the celebrants pressed through the noise the hundred horns and musics. Sounds fine. They breathed. Era- All right. Um, let's uh, look. Uh, make sure it's not number two in a series or anything. No, no, it's a standalone. That looks, I, I wanted to looks, make sure. Looks good. All right. Uh, you want to book it? I uh, yeah. Let's put it. Uh, let's put it around. Let's put. Let's put it into April. This way we okay. can. Uh, <laughs> Get get people more people onto this. All right. this it shouldn't be it about. shouldn't be a problem. It shouldn't be a problem. People, I mean, Jack Vance is popular, right? Maybe not. <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe not. I mean, if this was Paul Anderson, we'd have Scott for sure. But well, you know, I, I I I'm the I'm the I'm the Jack Vance stand around here, so it might take some doing. Haven't you good for this? Uh so maybe. I'm going to send you the Wikipedia entry here. Um, Keeping in mind, Live retitled Clargaze. Um, like like Philip K. Dick, Jack Fance's sense of titling was never always the best. Floyd C. Gale praised the novel as frighteningly logical, saying that the sick inbred society of Vance's imagination comes fully alive, even oh, though oh, oh, his characters remain mere symbols. Lovely, yes, because you know Jack Vance. Loves to show weird, almost grotesque societies and how they're yeah just not sustainable. Dude, it says Malthusian horrors. This is Evans Jam. <laughs> All right, see, all you have all to say is Malthusian <laughs> horrors. Put them on. There. I'm putting you on, Evan. 
I think he's good with it. You just have to say Malthusian horrors. <laughs> so I didn't realize that was the right button to press. Okay, yeah. there we go. Uh, the only thing they yeah, can make, make him happier. Jack Vance is, is, is uh, the Malthusian. I guess we'll find out. Only thing that can make Evan uh, more excited is if you said uh, the book was about triracial isolates. Maroons <laughs> <laughs> or pirates? <laughs> That's right. Speaking of which, I was watching a pirate movie last night um, based on a. It's called The Black Swan. Um, based on uh, Henry Morgan's um, Rule of Jamaica. You know, he was. Uh, Captain Henry Morgan was like a privateer. Who uh, was? They were going to hang him, and they decided instead to make him a sir and make him governor or lieutenant governor of um, Jamaica. And then he has to round up all the pirates and say, "You either take a hundred hundred uh, acres of land and stop being pirates, or I have to hunt you down." And um, the movie uh, was from I want to say fifty two. I tweeted about it, um, and. <laughs> It was like, it's the most brutal, um, I've never seen, um, like women getting slapped around as much. <laughs> it was basically one movie, woman in the movie. And the very first thing he does is, um, he slaps a, a pistol out of her hand and then he, uh, tries to kiss her like in that, um, uh, that, uh, Jarell of Jory, you know? Jarello of Jury, yes. Yeah, the opening scene, and uh, she bites him, and uh, so he he I think he punches her out, <laughs> and, then, and then later on, um, they're like capturing the port, um, and he he throws her over his shoulder after she's punched out, he's carrying her along, and then Captain Henry Morgan comes in, and he's like, "My friend," and he throws her off her shoulder, his shoulder onto the ground, and then. Um, he kidnaps her. It's, it's like such. It's like almost a comedy. I, I, I guess it's supposed to be a comedy. Um, uh, he kidnaps her, uh, takes her on the ship, and then they come after him for various reasons. Um, not Henry Morgan, but the main character, and um, uh, gets in bed with her. And you know, it's also it's very um, abusive. But at the at the final scene. Uh, he said earlier in the film, I'm, I won't touch you until you say my name three times. Um, and it's Jamie boy, right? Jamie boy, Jamie boy, Jamie boy. And then she repeats back to him what, uh, she said in the open, he said to her in the opening, uh, meet. And it was like, wow, this is like, this film is unfilmable today, but it's, it's much more realistic about pirates on what they do is they just go and like tear shit up and drink it's too much. Like it's, it was very realistic, is what I'm saying. Um, I, I, I was speaking speak of guns and weird movies and weird tones. I, but the, the other day, I was just flipping through a streaming service randomly, and I landed on a movie that I'd heard of but never actually saw. Have you ever watched Quigley Down Under? Yeah, I've seen it. I'd so. never seen it before. I'd heard it's of it, but I never saw it. It's like, not amazing. What's that? It's good. It's good. Yeah, I, I mean, I was more. I, I thought, yeah, I thought, I thought it was like, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm gonna turn this off after ten minutes. And I just kept, it was compelling enough, especially when Alan Rickman shows. Up, like, oh shit, now he's a good actor here. Now I'm gonna be stuck watching this movie. And yeah, it was. I, I mean, it's got weird, 
British colonial politics in Australia with the Aborigines. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure. It's a I mean, Western it, 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 with a Western it, it, character a Western, in Australia like, during the same period, like 80, 1888 yeah, kinda, or something. But it kind of goes almost into the magical Negro type with the Aborigines. And that's a little, uh, I'm, I'm not sure that actually works so well, but it was, it was entertaining. And, 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 and the callback at the end, I mean, when he shoot spoiler, spoiler, I mean, when he shoots, when he, when he shoots, the, ba- when he shoots the bad guy, because it seems like, oh no, he's not any good at pistols. And then when he gets to a gunfight with the, with, with, with Alan Rickman, he tears him, tears him a new one. It's like, I, I said, in, I said, I said, I like this. I didn't say I couldn't use one. It's like, burn. <laughs> it's just like, it's a great, it's a great little bit. It's like, oh man. Six point, so 6.8 for the Black Swan. It's 1942 and it's, it's Technicolor. It's on YouTube. Well, well, it must be some really weird. I mean, that's early color. So Black, hmm. that's the name of the pirate stuff. Uh, yeah, Black I just tweeted Swan. the the Twitter link. Um with yeah, a YouTube got link. some kind of pirate project. Who? She's got a my daughter. She's oh, got a cool. secret Instagram, which I like. I praised her, and she's like, "Don't tell anyone." <laughs> Meanwhile, you're telling Jesse. I'm not on Instagram, well, so you accidentally left a link somewhere in some of your uh-huh. social media. She's like, "Oh, I got to erase that. I can't let mommy know." <laughs> she's developed like three characters: like a woman and like two pirates. Dressed like pirates, and uh-huh. she's working on background. She's like, <laughs> what, like, conquest of the space sea? Ins- now look at your. Wait, wait, wait. She might have is- some pirate characters coming. What do you mean, like, like she's making like personalities? She's, she's drawing these characters. Oh, I see. Facial uh, I got you, got of you. them, and she's kind of hinting. She's developing like relationships between these characters, <laughs> story backstory things. Hilarious. Like she's trying to put oh, together yeah. a graphic novel. Pir- I think she's working on a graphic novel. Awesome. Reno Hara and Tyrone Power, yeah, it's a good movie. I also tweeted yeah, about Captain Pirate, which is another Raphael Sabatini. Um, I I looked into doing Raphael Sabatini's other stuff. We did Scaramouche, um, but yeah, Scaramouche, Scaramouche, where you do the Fandango. All the other Sorry. ones on LibriVox are either collaborations or something wrong with them, so we're not going to do that. But um, that Captain Pirate, not a great movie. But the other, the other one there, um, Black Swan, is quite good. Very entertaining. Um, and uh, Maureen O'Hara, when she's talking about how good the movie was, um, the Wikipedia entry it's, uh, says, Everything you could want in a lavish pirate picture. A magnificent ship with thundering cannons, a dashing hero, battling menacing villains, sword fights, fabulous costumes... Exhilarating working with power, who is renowned for his wicked sense of humor. What's so funny is you see this, the, the hero. Oh, and Anthony Quinn, uh, is a pirate with an eye patch, which is pretty good. Um, the hero Art. has like no muscles. He's just like a guy. I, I think that's so awesome. <laughs> it's like, hey, he takes off his shirt. Look at that. Look at that beefcake. And he's like, I mean, he's not fat. <laughs> he's not super skinny. But if you see the the poster, even it's like, uh, that might be a little bit of exaggeration about how beefy he is. Uh, but he's got a great mustache. So <laughs> priorities. <laughs> That's basically what you need. I mean, uh, it was uh, it was well done. So apparently, uh, Raphael Sabatini just basically lifted most 
most of his stuff from the story of of Henry Morgan. And uh, in- that included, yeah, I guess you saw it there, Paul. Um, um, an article about the earthquake in, have you heard about this, Evan? Uh, a true and perfect a relation of the most sad and terrible earthquake at Port Royal in Jamaica, which happened on Tuesday, the 7th of 1692, where in two minutes time, the town was sunk underground and 2000 souls perished with the manner of it at large in a letter from thence. And they found out that it was happened at 1143 AM. Cause they found a, like a watch. Or something yeah. Had the time. Yeah. So, um, apparently most of the Port Royal, uh, sunk in an earthquake a huge 7.5 or, yeah uh, i think i heard that the the, the the phrase is liquefaction <laughs> yeah that's what one of the communities near here is subject to because it's uh it's basically it's a floodplain that's been building up for millennia and uh, yeah, so, so i'm not so in so danger of that but if you live in richmond you're in deep that's where the airport is here I mean, if, if the Cascadia subduction zone goes, everything from Vancouver to Portland's going to be fracked. Uh, Cascadia it's subduction zone? What do you mean? Um, I mean, I mean that the whole area of the Pacific Northwest is in a subduction zone, and a, and it's not as famous as San Andreas Fault, but there's a whole gigantic geologic oh, yeah. fault. They're ready to go. Uh, the, oh, I'm more worried about the big. one to Fuca plate, which is the one that's nearby. That's that's the one that gives us earthquakes. Um, yeah, yeah but we're not going to have these things can let, let off one tension can let off another. It it it, it could get real yeah, nasty. It's related, fast. but it's a slow motion earthquake or slow motion car crash. So I think we'll be all right. We we do have earthquakes here. Have you ever been in the car crash, Jesse? Uh sure. Not, I mean, not it, major it, ones. It, 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 it is weird that time does seem to slow down when you're in a car crash. It is. The, the, <laughs> I like I, it to I slow down before the car crash. That, I didn't believe, so I can I avoid didn't believe them. for years that that was a thing. I thought, oh, no, that's everyone lying. That's just urban legend. That was in a car crash. I was like, oh, my God, this really this does how it feels. Mm. Very strange. But I've got to go because it's about time for me to run my game. All right. So. Time for bed for me, too. All right, sir. Take care, Evan. Take care, Jesse. I've I've got tons of stuff tonight, Jesse. After after gaming tonight, right. I have a I have a conversation with some friends. So there won't be no PUBG for me tonight. Uh, no exactly. worries. It's okay. Just so you know. Yep, I'm good. Thanks. Uh, All right. Get more chicken yeah. dinners. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Thanks. Bye, Paul. There's a ghost forest if you look at that Wikipedia entry for the subduction zone. That's kind of cool. I never noticed knew about this before. All right. All right. I don't know. Out. What time is it? Anyways, what time is your round? What time sleep. is it? What time is it? Two o'clock. Two. Okay. Go to bed. Good night. Good night. See you around.